Welcome into a new episode of Get Fiddles and Paradiddles. My name is Chris. My name is John. And welcome in, everyone. Um, we are sitting on the, the end of uh, November here, John. Thanksgiving is fastly approaching. What do you think about that? I know. The holiday season is upon us. Everywhere I go, freaking Christmas music's all, <laughs> all up in your face and in your, in your ear holes. So, um, man, it just this year has, has kind of flown by Chris I don't know if you feel the same way but um it is just man it's it's rapidly ending yes this, it's, this year of 2019 it's really gone by fast and and you know speaking of like Christmas music and all that a hotly debated topic and I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw this at uh, you we've not even discussed this all right all right throw it out let there. me get your let me get your opinion on this Christmas sure. cr- Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving are you cool with it or do you think oh, Thanksgiving hell no. No, 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 exactly no, 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 no. Uh-huh. Come on, uh-huh. we, you wouldn't believe it, man. Up and down the street See. I live on, there's Christmas everywhere. And I'm like, guys, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, you don't do that. You don't You don't disrespect Thanksgiving that Exactly. You, my my you wife's the same. She's that. like, one of my favorite holidays is Thanksgiving, and I feel like we just gloss over it because it just happens to Absolutely. be so close to Christmas. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that, man. You know, it's, it's just... Uh, that's not uh, – I don't get down like that, Chris. I, I feel the same way that your wife does. Uh, I enjoy Thanksgiving. It's mm-hmm. it's always been probably my second favorite holiday next to Christmas um, yeah, because uh, some of my fondest childhood memories of, of, of all time have been over the Thanksgiving table. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just a um, – it's a shame that Christmas – kind of, you know, gets, gets all of the, all of the attention. And it's really just, it's, it's a retail, yes, uh, driven kind of thing because they want you to start freaking spending coin on Christmas. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, it's consumer based um, for sure. And like, we don't put as is. much value totally on Thanksgiving. It's pretty sad, but yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, I'm sure you guys out there have some, some strong opinions either way, but John and I definitely stand on the side of let, let Thanksgiving be its own thing. Let's let, let's let Thanksgiving get out of the way. Even if it's you yes. know, the day after it's fine. Put your Christmas stuff up that day. Yep. That's fine. Yep. Uh, my, we have a rule in the Mobley house is that Christmas stuff doesn't go up till December 1st. That's December good. is Christmas time. That's right. That's right. You get a whole okay. month for Christmas. Let's let it. You get all of it. Yeah. All of it. It's, it's all you, Christmas. It's all <laughs> you, baby Jesus. All all month of December is yours. Right. Well, John, um, aside from Christmas and Thanksgiving, um, we had two announcements of, of bands this week. Uh, several bands, but uh, the, the two yeah, separate several. announcements, which uh, John brought to my attention. The first one, which is that the Black Crows are reuniting, which is huge. Like, oh yeah, man! It's that's like hell freezing over, almost like the Eagles getting back together when they did that that little thing back uh, back a few years ago, or gosh, more than a few God, years it ago. In, Any, it was in the '90s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in the late '90s. So, um, for for all of our listeners that are not familiar with the Black Crows, um, the main co-founders of the band were brothers, so mm-hmm. Chris and Rich Robinson, and they happen to be from Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, yeah. And they were huge, huge influences on me, um, you know, obviously because they were from Georgia and they broke out and they made it big, you know, and they kind of did the same. They had that same kind of blues rock thing that I was kind of wanting to, you know, figure out my voice inside of that kind of of, of that genre, if you will. Right. So um, 
Shake Your Moneymaker uh, came out in 1990, and um, it just blew me away, man. Um, and uh, so they finally, the brothers were a, a tumultuous relationship, to say the least. They, all, I, I, from stories I've heard, they, they've been, you know, short of murdering each other on a God. few. Wow. On a few venues and, and some tours and stuff. So they, they pretty much hated each other and it was bad. And, um, the drummer, uh, the former drummer of the band, uh, his name is Steve Gorman, uh, ended up coming out with a book recently. And it's kind of a, I shouldn't call it a tell all, but just kind of, uh, a biography of his time with the band and all the stories and all the BS. So anyway, the, uh, Chris, and Rich are the only two original members of the Black Crows that are going out on the on the 30 year anniversary of Shake Your Money Maker. It's everybody else is um, is from um, their side project band members. Mm, okay, so it's just the, just those two guys. So um, you know, some a lot of people are feeling some kind of way about it because um, they don't have the original lineup, which I kind of I'm I'm kind of in that boat, but. Um, I, I've seen the uh, Black Crows twice, and both times they were kick ass. So, I bet. I bet. um, you know, um, now you got Motley Crue. Oh yeah, the other one was together. Motley Crue, and not only is Motley Crue getting back together, but the tour they announced is nuts. Motley yep. Crue, Def Leppard, and Poison on the same bill. I assume it's only going to be a North American tour, but we've not seen all the tour dates yet. Right. Um, imagine the debauchery of that tour. Uh, yeah, they're all old dudes, but still, yeah, they're probably, uh, they're all probably taking Ovaltine and, and, and taking their, their vitamins <laughs> and in bed by nine o'clock. Yeah. But <laughs> I, your... I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little concerned about Vince Neal. Um, you know, I've seen some clips of him and he's not, he doesn't look great. Well, <laughs> Mick, mean, Mick Mars too. Isn't Mick Mars falling and, and, apart? Yeah, like he's Mick got Mars, like a bone degeneration. Yeah, he's got a spinal, uh, degenerative disease and, you know, um, you know, Nikki six is really the only one that looks really good. And he almost killed himself in a hair run. So hey, go hey Ron. <laughs> on a hair run. Well, so, he's, he yeah. stayed kind of relevant. He's got his, his, what is his 6 a.m. band and, right, right. Um, you know, so yeah, he's, he's still rocking. I mean, I, I feel like the Def Leppard guys are probably all still, still pretty even. What do you think? Oh yeah. They look great. I mean, the guitar player, Phil Collin, that dude is jacked, man. If he, yeah. he, plays, he plays with his shirt off all the time. I mean, he's like, I mean, he's com completely ripped and he's probably in his mid to late sixties, just out there kicking ass and taking names. There you go. Set so, the standard setting the standard for sure. And, um, yeah, man, just, it's kind of, you know, all of this, it's all coming, it's all cyclical, man. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Everything mm -hmm. is, you know, when that uh, little Netflix movie called the dirt came out, you yeah. know, just we introduced Motley Crue to the, to the, uh, you know, millennials out there that, you know, obviously they took a liking to them and, um, I'm sure they're going to sell out everywhere they go. Oh, sure. I bet they will. You know? uh, it's crazy. Like you say, it's cyclical. My, my wife and I were at the mall uh, doing some early Christmas shopping. We were in a, I think it was an Old Navy or a Gap or something like that, looking for, for clothes, just kind of browsing stuff. And to see the the jeans, like the not the blue jeans, but just the jeans that are are out now, they're like the stonewashed jeans. Yeah, man. With the holes a, all in them, like, you yeah. know, like. 
I'm like, this that's, is like 1986, 1987, all, all over again. All over again. Yeah, and that's the style, man. I mean, I think the musical, um, the music of that decade is starting to make its 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 renaissance as well, man. You know, yeah. it gives uh, it gives hope to no no matter what genre or what decade you may have been really popular in. Um, you know, it just gives you hope that that music will come back around. So anyone that's out there doing something that may be really relevant now and breaking out, like just think, you know, in 20 or 30 years, you, you're still going to somehow stay relevant. You know, there's, it's gotta be some hope and some, some, some yeah, peace abso- about a- that. A- absolutely, man. I mean, I, and that's the other thing, man, when you make timeless music, um, it doesn't matter what, what's going on in the music business at the time. It, it's, it's always going to be relevant. Definitely. You know what I mean? It's Definitely. always going to be relevant. Key, so, the key to it all is to have a great guitar part that starts the song. You got me. You're, <laughs> you're telling me. That's the key, man. You got to have big, if you're a lead singer, you got to have tight package pants. Yes. And you got to have killer guitar riffs. And That's then it. you're good to go. That's it. And heroin. Good to go. And, and lots of heroin. And heroin. <laughs> yes, lots of it. All right, John. Well, we're gonna let's segue into our uh, our main topic here today. Um, I've got some some things I want to discuss with John and John's John's uh, juxtaposition. I like to use his word uh, yes. to this conversation is going to be really interesting. So you guys hold tight, and we'll be right back. All right, so John. Uh, at the first of the year, I made a proclamation. Me personally, I made yes, a proclamation. You did. Yes, you did. Uh, I went back and, and listened to uh, the episode from the beginning of the year, sometime in January. If you guys want to go back and look at it, it's about two or three weeks in. Um, the episode title is Why You Should Listen to Jazz. Mm, and it was quite the compelling it was. Uh, episode. A compelling episode, oh. which uh, across the episode slightly before it and the ones after it, I went on went on the record and said that I mm-hmm. was going to be diving deep into jazz music. I was going to be diving deep into uh, fusion music and mostly the principles and techniques of a jazz drummer and, you know, all the things that really just go along with that. So right. I did. Uh, here we are, yep. uh, end of November. I would say that I'm real close to spending a year doing so. Um Mm-hmm. Just as a quick reminder and some some quick cliff notes here, um, I'm not a jazz drummer by definition. Um, it's probably, without a doubt, the weakest genre that uh, that I can play. Uh, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to try to strengthen it with this deep dive uh, or musical walkabout, as the title of the episode says. Um, you know, just yes. kind of get away from the genres that made me comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly rock, funk hard rock, metal, whatever you want to call it. Um, from the time I started playing drums, the, the first drum set I got, the first legit drum set I got, actually came with a double bass pedal. So basically, I feel like from the yeah. time I started playing drums, there's always been a double pedal. And so I learned all those principles. I, I, you know, I did the progressive metal thing and still do to this day. Dream Theater, Queensryche, Rush, you know, yes, it goes on and on. So that was my, my massive influence. Mm-hmm. So I stayed kind of in that that genre range, you know, and it would, whether the metal got harder or the rock or the right. funk or the pop, or it all has like rock, you know, essence to it. So yep, all those sensibilities are there. So that's what I stayed with. So anyway, this year was supposed to be the year of jazz and it was, I spent a lot of time with jazz, but I've discovered here at the end of the year, one surprising thing. Um, as I got the books, as I got the play along tracks and 
you know, went and saw Dave Weckl in March of this year. I mean, it was really an incredible time. But the more time I spent with jazz, every time I would come to my rehearsal space or when I would sit down with the practice pad or whatever, it was always jazz techniques, jazz principles. And there wasn't, there wasn't a balance. And so what I learned is that I was getting less interested in sitting down behind my drums because the, even though it was fun to kind of like throw myself into this, I went so far that it wasn't fun anymore to sit down and play my drums. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, and jazz is not a, um, it's not, especially when you're first starting to play jazz, it's not something that's very self gratifying. Right. Right. You know, because you're, you're, you're having to kind of pick apart everything that you thought you knew before, like you're starting from scratch. Right. You know, essentially. Yeah, that's true. Uh, because I really to, felt like when I would sit down, I couldn't, I couldn't like grab something from stuff I'd learned in the past and go, okay, build on this because there really was nothing yeah. there. Like you can't right. say that rock is the foundation of jazz. It's quite the opposite. So I really, mm-hmm. I really was kind of starting from scratch, like you're saying. Yeah. And for me, um, me kind of being some of my, you know, um, you know, I was always into the, to blues stuff, you know, you know, Hendrix and, and Stevie Ray and had that kind of influence in my in my playing. And that kind of a lot of the blues stuff, you know, lends itself to jazz as far as, you know, the feel and the improvisational aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Lots of that. Lots, lots of those things cross over into jazz. But uh, the harmonic complexity, um, the um you know, some of the theoretical ideas and concepts are completely different than, than, than the blues realm. So, yeah. um, you know, I kind of was in the same boat, man. You know, I had to start from scratch too. I kind of had to unlearn what I already learned, if you will. Um, but the thing for me that was super key was obviously I was at music school and my, my peers at school, they were all, you know, some of the cats were like already really good jazz players, but most of them came from a similar background, such as myself. Mm-hmm. So most of the guys were kind of in the same boat. So the the guys in the drum department, the guys in the bass department, we would all get the same real book tunes that we had to learn. And then we'd have to go up there and just suck our way through these things, you know <laughs> what I mean, together. Yeah. But but what happened was as you do this and, you know, obviously you take pride in your playing and, and, and you want to be the best you can be, especially when you're at that kind of school and, you know, everybody's just killer players. Um, I, I just remember as soon as I got done playing that song, that's what I, w- I would go. As soon as I finished my classes, I would go back to the lab, the lab uh, rooms and just shed that freaking real book tune until mm-hmm. I could play it backwards and forwards because it was a pride thing, right? Right. So, but because I got pride thing, it wasn't just to yourself, but it was to the other people that you knew you were going to be playing with. Like you didn't want to be the weakest link. Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. So, um, it's completely jazz is one of those things to where if you can get a group of guys or gals or a combination of both, uh, together that you can learn, all learn the same song, preferably if you can get a bass player and a drummer, and you can like literally play through the form mm-hmm. of a real book tune and everybody take a round of solos. 
Yeah, I mean, like, just play it like an like a jazz like a jazz cat would would play a song would play you know a real book tune. Right. And so to preface, a real book is basically a jazz standard, right? Um, there's tons of of you know publishers that publish different jazz standards. The one that was the Bible at AIM was called uh, it's called the real book mm-hmm. or the real fake book, if you will. And basically, it was a collection of jazz standards, and it was a lead sheet that had the melody lines and the chords above the staff. Right. And uh, I mean, I've still got my real book, and it looks like a it looks like a pastor's Bible, dude. It's just all <laughs> highlighted, marked up. Um, I mean, it was literally, you know, it was my Bible when I was an aim man. Like that's everybody. That's that was your goal was to be able to just open the real book to page 180 and be able to play what was on page 180. You yep. know, so you had for me that's that I think that that was what kept the fire burning for my jazz flame, if you will, um, is because I had that accountability to my other classmates and I just wanted to get good at it because that's what all the other cats that were teaching or coming through. I mean, they were just, they knew how to play jazz. Like they could open up the real book and play a tune and burn through it. Right. right. And, you know, so jazz is super difficult. If all you're doing is sitting, you know, especially for you drummers, if all you're doing is sitting in your rehearsal room and just ching, 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 a ching, ching, a ching, Mm -hmm. that is super boring. Like there's no, uh, the ladies aren't lining up to hear ching, ching, a ching, right? <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so it um, it is very difficult to keep your jazz motivation, uh, you know, really hot and heavy on the front burner um, if you don't have that element of being able to have some people you can, you can jam with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that definitely that, that accountability part, you know, is, is huge in a lot of genres, but I could see that it's, it's really, and I think that's that revelation. Like if I had one massive takeaway that like somebody say, to, if they, they were to say, what's the one thing that you learned? I wouldn't point out techniques, although I learned a lot of those. I wouldn't point out new rhythms, Although I learned a lot of those, I would say if you don't have a core group of people that help you and hold you accountable, it probably will fall apart at some point if you're not careful. Oh, man, that was one of one of a handful of things that were 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 paramount in my um, my growth as a guitarist. Um, and I think the main thing was I had just what you talked about. I had a group of guys. While I was at school, we hung out every day. We lived in, we lived near each other. So when we weren't at school, we were always over at each other's apartment or each other's house, freaking jamming, mm-hmm. like jamming, like every freaking day, nonstop. And that was, I mean, that was everything, dude. That that's it, man. Like that was really what took my playing from amateurism to professionalism mm-hmm. was having that, having those cats around and having that accountability. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That accountability that, piece is, is not the thing I have because I mean, you know, unless you live near a big city, you know, and I don't live near a very big city and you don't live near a very big city. No. Uh, you know, we are close to Atlanta, but it's, it's kind of a haul, you know, it's about an hour, hour and a half, depending on where you're going. 
Um, and even Atlanta is not like a jazz town, you know, so no, it's, it's there, it's but really... you really got to seek it out. So, yeah, you know, it definitely comes with its struggles and I, I definitely wouldn't, um, wouldn't trade it for anything. Cause I definitely learned a lot through, through this past year. But I will say what's gotten me excited now about playing drums is that here at the end of the year, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just play a little rock music. Maybe I'll play a little metal music. Maybe I'll just sit down behind my drums mm-hmm. and play some loud beats. I don't even have to pick a yep. genre of music to play. Yep. And it's been inspiring because I come in, into the, the rehearsal space now and sit down and just play. And it's for me, you know, it's not for, for any kind of agenda. And uh, I think totally. the other thing I would have, would tell anyone that's thinking about doing something like this, maybe the jazz guy that wants to get into rock or the rock guy that wants to get into pop or the pop guy that wants to get into jazz or whatever, just be careful. You know, the, the, um, the level that you dive into it. Yeah. You go down the rabbit hole. And if you're not providing yourself a balance, um, you know, for, for John and I, like we got into playing because of rock music, because of rock musicians. And I'm proud of that. You know, like there's some guys that would probably turn their nose up at it. Um, well, you know, and a lot of them are jazz guys and I had to deal with it at school because, you know, some of the instructors, uh, at least in the guitar side, uh, want just in general, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would say it was probably, you know, 60, 40, 60 of them were quote unquote jazz guys and the other 40% were rock guys. Right. And the jazz teachers were just shitting on the rock guys constantly. I, I'm a funny story. Um, so we, in the old aim building that was over there, um, off of Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. uh, Boulevard, uh, not in the nice posh, uh, studio uh that they are in now that is freaking amazing we were in this dump but <laughs> it was a it, it was my dump chris right okay own it own your dump it, it, it exactly anyway so i'm changing the name two... of the podcast episode own your dump <laughs> <laughs> own your dump <laughs> all right so, there, and, there were two and, Go and ahead. why is it why is it why why is it i gotta take a crap because you're not taking it you're giving you're it giving why is that? But if you right? give a crap, it means that you like that that that, that you care. even just, that you it, care. I don't care. Of, Nobody cares about crap. Rabbit. Yeah, oh speaking of going down a rabbit hole. Oh my god, this is anyway, what happened when John so, and I get together. You guys yes, are witnessing the, yes, the pureness exactly. of it. So you were at there were two what? Anyway, there were two <laughs> rooms. Chris. Okay, okay, so okay. one room had um, uh, one of the jazz guitar classes, and the other room, which is right next door, had one of the rock guitar classes right and it was a constant i mean we had to break up a few fights between the rock instructor and the jazz instructor because the jazz guy would come in hey man turn that effing up down mm-hmm. turn that hendrix shit off man nobody cares about that crap here wow and then the rock guy was and the rock guy was like i'm about to take that jazz box and shove it up your ass buddy <laughs> Wow. So it was a yeah. I mean, there was a lot of 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 contentiousness between the two worlds, mm. you know, um, because you had the jazz guys coming from academia, you know, you got this is how you're supposed to play guitar, this is how you're supposed to play over these changes, this is the this is the way you do it. And then you have the rock guys that were just like, you know, just crank it up loud and you know, yeah. play it with conviction, right? You know what I right. mean? Yep. So there is a there is a stigma that a lot of the hardcore jazz guys have towards rock guys. You know, mm-hmm. they just think that they're meatheads, if you will. You know what I mean? Um, which is, it's it's not the case at all, man. I mean, um, you know, and, and, and vice versa, you know, some rock guys kind of 
you know, look, look up at jazz guys like snobby, you know, white collar, you know, CEO corporate musicians, right, right, if you will. Right. right? So yeah. um, there is a lot of that that goes on um, between the the worlds, if you will. And I was I was just floored of, of how um, not necessarily competitive, but it was like my my way of music is better than your way of music kind of thing. Right. Right. And it's know, unfortunate that no it has to be that way. I guess you, you know, in some ways it's, it's great because you, you, you take ownership for what you do and you got pride in it. So, I mean, that's huge, right? right? That's, you want to take pride in it because if you didn't care, but at the end of the day, it's all music and we're all on the same musical yeah, journey. Man. It's yeah. So know. yeah, that, there, there, there was a lot of that. Um, and you know, it was hard to kind of figure out like, you didn't want to necessarily take sides with a teacher because you had to see that teacher like 10 minutes in the next class. Right. Right. You had to, you had to stay very Switzerland about, about things, you know, you had to very, be very conscientious about your body language. And, you know, there were some guys that were just, um, they were rock guys. They didn't give two flying flips about playing jazz and they had no problems letting you know that that's what they were there to do. Right. And, you know, you had the rest of the guys who wanted to become, you know, well-rounded musicians. So, um, just a weird, it was, it was very weird, um, being a part of that. But nonetheless, um, I think what happens, Chris, is for you, you know, you don't, you don't kind of, you kind of take for granted stuff until you don't have it around and you're not playing it and you're not doing it. Yep. You know, once which you is just put, the human nature, right? Like right, we, we all take yeah. things for granted that happen to us on a day to day basis. But if you were to take away one thing, say like I take away forks from you for three months, you can't use a fork anymore. We take those yeah. for granted, right? Totally. Uh, obviously, dude. and totally. it can be it can be a lot bigger than that. But like, yeah, what sure. you're saying is like you take away that, and it it definitely makes you it just makes you process everything so differently. Right. And I think what happens too is, and the other thing about learning jazz is that it helps your chops in the other areas, other genres of music. I, after I did my, my jazz walkabout when I was in school and got out of school, um, you know, my first steady gig coming out of school was I was playing at a bar in Athens. I was playing every Tuesday and Thursday night for two hours, both nights, nothing but real book tunes. I had to put together a band, um, you know, the bass player uh, I went to music school with, uh, got him, um, some of my other drummer buddies from school, you know, would just rotate in drummers and found uh, some some horn players that were studying at UGA mm -hmm. and rotated them. And I mean, it was, I had a nice little ensemble, man. It was, you know, usually it was a, it was a four piece. Sometimes we'd have six up seven playing depending on how many horn players and you know when you're playing these jazz standards man and like you know you're playing like some of these real book tunes like or some of these old school like freddie hubbard and miles davis tunes man that have horns in them i mean it is just awesome mm -hmm. just cook just cooking through a standard man so i did that for probably two and a half years uh when i got out of school so it um you know, I just immersed myself in it because I wanted to be good. I wanted to be really good at it because it was not something I was good at at the time. And then 
I got the corporate gig mm. playing, you know, playing boogie, oogie, oogie and brown eyed girl and right. You know, whatever songs were in 2003 through <laughs> 2007, the top forties. So when I, when I re yeah, top forties. <clears throat> so when I got reintroduced to all that stuff, like I was able to just pick it up super, super easy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I had the schooling at that point. So all the stuff I was learning at school was starting to set in through osmosis, you know, I was starting to, you know, the dots were connecting. I was able to, you know, like hear a song and pick out a chord progression without even fishing it out on my guitar. It's like, oh, I know exactly what he's playing. Mm-hmm. I know the exact rhythmic permutation that he's doing. And I could just do it. You right. know what I mean? It went but straight from strengthenization that, in the brain. Yeah. yeah, everything got everything got strengthened and heightened. So I was able to, I mean, I literally I had to learn like 200 songs in a week, dude. Because I had my first gig the following week. Yeah. You know, so... um you 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 kind of get your you hone you're honing your your skills when you're learning jazz more so than you think you are at the time. So even if it's something that doesn't necessarily um, get your engines revved for two years, three years, the rest of your, whatever, as long as you can get into it and get something out of it and appreciate the 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 skill that's involved, learn some of the techniques, you know, learn how to speak the language a little bit. It's going to seep over into your rock playing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when you go back to play that rock groove, it's just going to feel it's going to feel like a warm, warm blanket, dude. Right. And I can definitely you tell know? that. I, I've noticed that some like some of the rock stuff that I'm doing now, it um, it almost has a a weird uh, instinct for me to go to certain phrasings or to certain techniques naturally. Right. And it's like, right. oh, wow, like where'd that come from? You know, like you're just playing through yep. a passage or a drum fill or something and it just comes out. So I'm definitely thankful I did it. There's, there's nothing I wouldn't trade anything yeah, for the, it, for the time, <laughs> you know, I did it. Yeah. Um, and I want to keep doing it, I think, but you know, I think the idea is to figure out the balance. And I think that's where I'm at now is like saying, keep doing it, but don't do it to the detriment of, what you know what should be and is that as excitement to sit down and practice you know if yeah, practice I mean, becomes you, a job then you know you're not motivated very well right right and, and and i think there's also a balance between learning new stuff whether it be in another genre of music or just learning a piece of music that's going to challenge you period whether mm-hmm. it be in the genre you like rock progressive rock metal funk as long as you're learning something that's outside of your comfort zone. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, uh, giant steps. Right. You know, right. It doesn't have to be that. If that's your goal, great. More power to you. I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, if I can get through, you know, the, the you know, the A section giant steps, I'm done. I, I've dropped the mic, man. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I've, that's it. Yeah. But, but I, my, my point is, Chris, is that, you don't have to tackle jazz in order to to fulfill yourself and to or, or to grow as a musician. Yes. You just need to challenge yourself. Right. You know right. what I'm saying? Keep challenging yourself. Keep stimulating your 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 brain uh, to progress um, as a player. Yes. And 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 it did it happened for me, Chris. I mean, I you know it, it's not every once in a while I'll go through a phase where I just listen. That's all I'm listening to hit 
to is like straight ahead jazz. Like when you, when you started your, your walkabout, you kind of reinvigorated some stuff for me. And that's all I was doing. Cause I was trying to, you know, get you have some of the stuff that turned me on mm-hmm. uh, when I first was getting into the jazz, you know, and it just, I, I, I found some excitement there. I was like, Oh man, this is so good. But after about, you know, after a few weeks, I was just kind of like, all right, I'm, I, I've, I've been there and done this with this music. You know what I mean? I spent right. like five years of my life listening nothing but straight ahead jazz yeah you know and and at a certain point you know there's only so much you're going to get out of that right yep so that's not that's not the horse that 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 brought me to the party mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying uh, you know the, the the horse that brought me to the party was was hendrix yeah you know that was yeah. the guy mm-hmm. you know that was the sound that was that was the 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 light switch that went off. Mm-hmm. So I always, I always am going to find the most, um, you know, uh, passion and the most, uh, influence in that realm of music. Yeah. Um, you know, rock, hard rock, metal. That's just kind of where I hang my hat. Yep. Definitely where my, where I hang my hat. And I, and I like what you said about, um, you know, just, just to continue challenging. And I think that's, that's a great way to, to kind of, you know, put a, put a bow on this is, you know, just to stay challenged to a point of where you're still excited. So I think that's the balance is yeah, like stay totally. challenged, but still stay excited. So that's, I think that's the internal struggle, which could be consummate. You know, the, the consummate struggle should be stay challenged, but also stay excited. And, um, yeah, I'm definitely, sure. I'm definitely excited for whatever comes next, uh, with jazz and, uh, just maintaining that balance is, is where I'm at. And it's been a fun journey, man. Um, uh, I've been, I've been real excited and definitely well, yeah, learned, learned, learned so it's, much. Yeah. And I can tell you have, man, I, I, like some of the techniques that you've, that you've delved into has permeated into your, to the other projects that you and I have been, uh, fortunate enough to be on. So, uh, I can't, I mean, I can't stress enough to, especially, especially guitar players. Um, and I mean, drummers for that matter. I mean, you've got to, you've got to have some level of aptitude in jazz. Mm-hmm. You just have to, in order for you to be a well-rounded player and in order for you to, to unlock your true potential, you have to have a small aptitude in jazz. Yep. It's the, uh, um, I can tell I, it makes a big difference. You know, it, 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 it really does. So, you know, just stay, stay in the mindset of challenging yourself on your instrument. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Just try to do something that you didn't do yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, and make yourself better and, and you will get better. You will be, you will be astounded how much better you get at your instrument doing yep. that. Yep. So, Totally, man. Well, um, you guys keep practicing your jazz chops. I'll, pra- I'll be practicing mine too, but uh, I'm oh, yeah. going to keep some some metal in, metal in the background to keep me excited. Oh yeah, for sure. You got to <laughs> you got to you got to keep the uh, the double bass out, man. You can't just uh, <laughs> throw that stuff away. For real. Well, John, let's uh, let's move into our uh, our song of the week. What makes that song great, John? John uh, brought one to my attention, which uh, kind of puts a, a nice little bookend on our our beginning. Of the episode talking about the Black Crows getting back together. Our song this week is by the Black Crows. And uh, I'll let John talk about it and kind of kind of segue to him because he's got some some real passion for this band and this song. Yeah. So um, as we were talking about earlier, the Black Crows have announced that they're getting together for, year, for their 30-year reunion of their debut album, Shake Your Moneymaker. 
And uh, these guys are from Atlanta, Georgia. Chris and Rich Robinson are brothers. Uh, they started um, – they actually started as Mrs. Crow's Garden. That was the original band name, I do, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they got the they got a record deal, and they were signed to Deaf America. Mm-hmm. And I believe 87 – and, um, you know, um, changed their name to the Black Crows and uh, Shaker Moneymaker came out in 1990. And the title track, the first first track of Shaker Moneymaker, and I, I can remember, it's it, there's certain songs that you, I can remember exactly where I was, exactly how I was listening to it, where I was listening to it. So the title track is Twice as Hard. Twice as hard. So, so you put the CD in. Yes, we're going to say CD or cassette, yes. whatever you had then. And, and the first song you hear is twice as hard. I, I remember my brother, my eldest brother, Patrick Mobley, a.k.a. Rick Dog, <laughs> uh, coming back from Turtles CD store. You remember Turtles? Oh, I do. I do remember Turtles. So back then, you know, the CD was like this linear rectangle thing. I had the CD on the top and like this cardboard, you know, almost album cover printed mm-hmm. out on the bottom. Right. So my brother brings home Shaker Moneymaker. He puts the CD in. I mean, the CD player was the size of a refrigerator back then. So, <laughs> so this track comes on, and what do you know, Chris? I bet you can't guess what it starts off with. A killer, a killer guitar. guitar riff. Yes. Starts off with the killer guitar riff. You know, just a... A, a a warm and fuzzy blanket type guitar tone that I absolutely love, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's got this guitar riff, very like kind of Rolling Stones on steroids kind of vibe. Um, you know, I never really got too big into the Rolling Stones. Um, they didn't really move the meter for me. I was more Pink Floyd than, than the Stones, but mm-hmm. I could see... If I were to like the Rolling Stones, I'd need to sound like the Black Crows. Yes, totally agree. Okay, so so it starts off with the killer guitar riff. Um, then uh, uh, then Chris Robinson comes in with the vocals that are just dude's a powerhouse singer, man. Yes. Just a powerhouse singer. You know, and I mean, it's right right in there. Um, just super raspy, bluesy, <laughs> you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom that these two dudes were from Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way these two country boys from freaking Georgia, from Marietta, Georgia are playing this kind of rock. There's no freaking way. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. So totally it sounded like super some, some Texas type stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it just had that that you know that real kind of West Coast LA you know blues kind of vibe. You know, mm-hmm. it was like Rolling Stones on steroids, for lack of a better word. But um, you know, the guitar was killer. You know, uh, um, um, Rich Robinson, the guitar player. Sorry, I had a brain fart. Couldn't remember his name. <laughs> um, that whole album, you know, he played with a lot of open tunings. You know, open G, open. That you could tune your guitar to a chord, mm-hmm. right? To one specific chord, and basically play a song 
out of that out of that that open tuning, you know, which he you know basically got from you know a lot of you know blues and slide guitarists like Ry Cooter and Elmer James, a lot of those old school blues guys. You know, he kind of took that and and ran with it. Uh, even I mean even Keith Richards, you know, he played a lot of a lot of Stones tunes in a, in, in open tunings. So mm-hmm. got turned on to to that whole technique and. Um, just the, because you're coming off the heels of all this hair metal, right? right? In the, yeah, in I, mean, the I was looking 80s, at that like know, 19, for this to come out in like 89 and 90, like they were right on the hills right. of that. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. I mean, I just couldn't, uh, I never, and, and still to this day, I'm not a shredder, you know, I mean, I can pull off some of the stuff, but I'm not Steve Vai. I'm not like. Joe Satriani, I'm not go through I, that shredding is just not part of my of my shtick, right? right? Right. So you're coming off of all these virtuosic players that were in these hair metal bands, like you know Steve Vai was in White Snake, you have Warren D. Martini and Rat, uh, you know uh, all of these just the shreddy guitar playing, and then then in 1990 you get this just bluesy rock sound yeah that was just like just yeah, <laughs> yeah man and and they were coming from georgia man it was super inspiring man it was a, another light switch for me that went off that was like man I, I can do this man like i can play that like that's my wheelhouse right there so to kind of circle back around to the song so the song starts off with the killer guitar I mean, the hook, man, twice as hard as it was the first time mm-hmm. I said goodbye. I mean, good God, man. I mean, just, I mean, that's some stuff that, you know, 11-year-old me could, I could put, wrap my brain around, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it, it just had all the elements of inspiration in my book. You know, killer guitar tone, great lyrics, a powerhouse singer, and a all inside a, a three minute song. Right. So the, the other thing about that is like, that was kind of the beginning of some really heavy hitters coming out. You know, I think Brendan O'Brien, uh, I think he, pro- he didn't produce it, but he mixed it and mastered some of that stuff. And if you don't know who Brendan O'Brien is, that dude is also from Georgia and he's produced and mixed some of the most iconic rock records in the history of rock and roll. Yes. And that, that dude is straight out of Tucker, Georgia. Yeah. So, um, so you had some, you had some, the beginnings of some really iconic, legendary careers, producers, musicians. Uh, it was just the start of, of a big wave of music that kind of pushed the, the hair metal out. It was the last kick in the ass for hair metal. Mm-hmm. You know, to me it was, you know, you had, it was guns and roses, black crows, and then Nirvana. Yep. That's they, they kicked, uh, they kicked, they kicked the hair metal in the ass out the window and said, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. <laughs> we'll ball. take it. Yeah. We'll take, take it from take here. It. We'll take it from here. So, um, and just the whole shake your money maker, shake your money maker record. I mean, I, I, I wore it out, dude. I wore it out, man. Um, super, super, 
Super important. Take a drink. Haven't said that in a while. Wow, it has been a long time. Wow. It's been a while. Super important. Take another one. For me as a guitar player, um, you know, um, that, that, you know, it, it's just, you know, there's, you know, arguably their biggest song to date was She Talks to Angels. Same album. Yeah. Same album. And they actually wrote that song a few years before they got their record deal. So the seeds of this were planted, you know, in the midst of this hair metal mm-hmm. kind of craze, but yet they were still cultivating, still kind of getting, getting, uh, getting your name out there. And then once they did, man, it was just, <laughs> that was it. And not to mention, back, like, what, yeah. yeah, what are the odds? I mean, seriously, what are the odds of having two brothers who were just, virtuosos at what they do yeah i mean very 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 unlikely but there was very so much there's so much more of that i feel like in the 80s and 90s than there are now like you don't hear about the brothers that are just like cutting edge at what they're doing yeah man don't man i mean it's just it's super rare to have that in the same household man you know Mm -hmm. um you know and um it was just a uh a pivotal moment in my guitar playing, having that record come on. And that first song, I'll never forget it, man. Like I said, I remember my brother bringing home that CD from Turtles and popping it in. I wore that thing out. Mm. I wore it out mm-hmm. from start to finish. But uh, Twice as Hard is the title track. Um, their 30-year reunion is coming up. They're going on tour. Um, still haven't decided if I want to go see him because it's not the original lineup of Black Crows and kind of feeling some kind of way about that. Yep. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily buy that the brothers have kind of kissed and made made up. <laughs> um, Somebody could be a money grab. Uh, Who could blame them? I, you know, listen, I, not me. You know, definitely do it. You, you know, get it while you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I've seen them perform. Uh, a couple times on YouTube, and bro, they're killing it, man. They yeah. Chris, Chris and Rich both sound amazing. That's awesome, amazing. So, uh, um, do yourself a favor, go get Shake Your Money Maker, and just listen to the whole thing. It's it's brilliant from yes, start man. to finish. It really is very cool. Y'all go check it out, um, John. I think that's going to put a put a nice little bow on this episode. Uh, I like that we're man, we are we're, back we're in chugging the saddle, along, Chris. baby. Uh, we doing it, baby. I love it. Back in the saddle, man. Freaking yep. cutting trails, bro. Yeah, man. Guys, we appreciate all you listeners out there, all the support, yes. all the feedback. You guys are killer. Um, you know, John and I, we're we're just over a year doing this, and we're. You know, we're just getting started. I mean, we were having a conversation just before we started this episode about all the plans for 2020. We cannot wait to start sharing some of this stuff with you guys. It's all coming together, and and next year it's really just going to keep growing, and we're excited, and we're so thankful for you guys, the listeners, and the support, and all the feedback is just killer. We we couldn't be more thankful. Yeah, we couldn't do this without you guys. I mean, this is why we're doing it. Um, You know, uh, we don't just do it just to hear ourselves talk, even though I love to hear Chris talk. He's my Uh, best good friend. Yes, yes. but no, um, we really, you know, can't can't echo those sentiments enough. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the social media platforms. Uh, give us a uh, like and subscribe, all that, whatever they call it, Chris. I don't know. On the uh, on the Apple Podcasts, we're you got on it. Spotify, iHeart, all yep. that stuff. Yep, yep. Uh, that way you can keep uh, up to date with the latest and greatest on the GMP. 
And um, we uh, we're we're gonna keep this thing rolling here. Um, I'm I just can't. I'm just kind of giddy right now, Chris. I can't yeah. believe that we're on a roll, man. We're on a roll, dude. We we ain't stopping. You can't stop this train. You can't stop it, buddy. You can't stop it. Well, man, let's get out of here. And guys, we will talk to you next week. We are out. <laughs>